Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAEP podcast listeners. Good God, it's been a bit. I got to practice my uh, my opening there. But again, welcome everyone. Chris Versace here, lead portfolio manager for the AAP portfolio with thestreet.com, chief investment officer at Tomatica Research. You know, folks, I had the privilege uh, about 10 days or, or so ago of attending uh, a college graduation. And afterwards, everybody was hanging out in the backyard of this Airbnb by the fire, no smoke. You know, everybody was warm and toasty. And lo and behold, what was it? It was a solo stove. And I only bring that up because it really sets the stage for the conversation that we're going to have today. That's right. John Maris, CEO of Solo Brands, ticker symbol DTC, is here to talk with us about the company. Um, for those who don't know much about it, there's a lot more to it than just solo stoves. But they brand themselves as a lifestyle, lifestyle, excuse me, an outdoor products company. John Maris, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chris. Excited to talk uh, about those smokeless fire pits, amongst uh, amongst other things. Great to be with you. I, you know, and God, uh, God is my witness. That is an absolute true story. It, it was it was unbelievable. Um, you know, we were piling wood in. The flames were like jumping everywhere, but no smoke. Everybody was warm. Everybody had a great time. So, but. Awesome. But, but John, let me let me use that as a springboard because there, there's a number of questions that I have because I think folks are familiar with solo stoves, right? And you guys are making some inroads with some other products built on that. But there's a lot more going on with solo. You you actually have three other products, uh, product lines. You got Chubbies, you've got um, the kayak business, and you also have the paddleboard business. That's right. And uh, and actually, just in the last 10 days, announced a, a new acquisition of a brand called TerraFlame. So we, we're now five brands inside of the Solo Brands portfolio and super excited about what we've done. You know, Solo Stove, as you mentioned, is the foundational product in, and brand inside of Solo Brands, hence the Solo Brands name. But uh, in 2021, we, we recognized, uh, A, we were doing some best-in-class stuff as it related to, to growing our business, and B, we had a lot of inbound interest from other brands that were, were wanting to pick our brain and understand what we were doing and how we were doing it. And ultimately, we we decided. Now, what do you mean by that? What we were doing, how we were doing it? Because, you know, th there's a lot of companies out there that tell a good story. And I, and I have to imagine, just given the timing and what happened, uh, I, I didn't look at the numbers, so I apologize. But in 2021, I imagine you guys were kind of on fire, no pun intended, because of the pandemic and the push to outside, you know, getting outdoors. Is that, is that fair? It is, you know, we were, we were on fire, you know, to keep that nomenclature going, we were on fire really going into the pandemic, but uh, you know, once, once the first few weeks of scare kind of passed in, in, you know, Q1, Q2 of 2020 of 2020, when the pandemic kicked off, it became clear fast that consumers were going to be looking for, for outdoor products and they were going to have to do more shopping online and solo stove was into both of those right d to c's our ticker we were mm -hmm. direct to consumer first business primarily online and we had this incredible product as you just talked about that people could gather around outdoors if you needed a social distance what better <laughs> thing to social distance around than a smokeless fire pit you can spread your chairs out you can enjoy the warmth and you can still interact with the other human beings so that ended up voting really well, but we were went, going into the pandemic, we're actually already growing 100%. And so when the pandemic hit and, and that just, you know, created this, this momentous moment for the brand, 
uh, it became quite quite powerful. And, and we were, again, fast growing, high free cash flow conversion business before the pandemic. But when we got in the pandemic, honestly, we shifted to our biggest challenge being supply chain and meeting the demand. And so, again, other other businesses, you know, not every business was created equal during the pandemic. I think in a general sense, most brands won. There were there were some mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there. We all know that travel obviously didn't get the, the lift that, that uh, some some did. But in the outdoor space, which is where we live in active lifestyle, those businesses tend to do pretty well. And then especially those that weren't heavily dependent on brick and mortar. So, so we were experiencing that. So is that the the, the, no, the notion of outdoor living? That's really the defining um, and aggregating concept behind the four brands that are now five brands that you have. Is that correct? You know, I'll take it a step further than that. And, and what I would say is that all of our brands are very focused on good moments and lasting memories. You know, I'm wearing a shirt right now that has a smiley face on mm-hmm. the chest. And, and, and I tell people all the time, this is what we do for a living is we put smiles on people's faces. So the outdoors has been historically the way we've done that. But actually, I just talked about Terraflame, this acquisition. The whole point behind this acquisition is Soloso has long wanted to be able to take those experiences, those good moments and lasting memories indoors. And we found this beautiful company called Terraflame that specializes in a, in a biofuel that you can, it's safe to burn indoors. So you can take your s'mores inside. So now you can have that gathering moment in your kitchen, in your family room, and it's totally safe to cook over. You're making your s'mores, you're hanging out with your family. It doesn't matter if it's negative 20 outside and you, you don't want to take your fire pit outside or it's 110 outside in July and you'd rather be inside, you can now have that gathering moment around the fire indoors and out. So that's that distinction. I think outdoor living certainly is a huge component to our business, but it's really about the experiences and the memory making. So it sounds like Terraflame, I I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it has the potential to kind of reduce some of the seasonality that you might see in the rest of the business. Um, that that's actually kind of interesting from a from a counterbalancing potential cash flow pers- uh, perspective. But let me let me just get back to the to the businesses, right? So you've got Solo Stove, which I, I think, as you said, is kind of the flagship best known product. But what's talk to me about Chubby's? Talk to me about the kayak business. Talk to me about um, the paddleboard business because they, you know, at first glance, they they seem to be complementary but different. But they also seem like they could be. Um, if we use Solo Stove, for example, it's, it's a springboard to diversify the product line, uh, more products, newer products. Is, is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I just I'll layer on and then I'll go back to your original question. But but remember, we're 75 to 80 percent direct to consumer. And the big driver of direct to consumer is first party data. So that relationship with the customer, we've got our email lists, we've got our, our addresses, our, our phone numbers of our customers. And so by diversifying, we, we also have this ability to cross market our brands to a, a diverse customer set. And that ultimately dr- creates stability and drives growth in the business long term. But if we go back to, OK, they kind of seem like they fit together. The one I get the most is like, OK, we, we understand Oru and Isle. We got we, we got kayaks. We've got paddle boards. You guys have fire pits. Those are all outdoors. But what what the heck? Like, where does Chubby's come into this thing? You got men's swim trunks, short shorts. Right. Uh, you know, now they've expanded into pants and they've got, you know, golf shirts and, and button downs. But uh, how does how in the world does that fit in? Uh, not sure how much time or, or, or uh, exposure you've had to Chubby's. But I'll tell you. When I go through the airport and I've got a chubby shirt on, 
without fail, one or two or three people between the time I get through security and the time I make it to the gate will stop with a big old smile on their face and say, nice shirt, man. And that's it. It's just that simple. You can't even sit here and talk to me about Chubby's without grinning yourself. No brand I've ever met is better at putting smiles on people's faces than Chubby's. That's what we're about. Good moments, lasting memories. Chubby's does it exceptionally well, even with just apparel. And when we met those guys and we heard the way they talked about their business, which was very similar to us, we knew that we had to partner with them. And, and ultimately, it's been a great partnership. So they're our second largest brand inside the portfolio. Interesting. So, I mean, that's to me the one that is is just, just as an outside observer, um, that could be the most challenging, right? And I, and I say that just because we all know that the consumer is fickle, right? But I also know that when we look on social media, which is, again, where you guys are really levering a lot, there's, there's a number of other brands out there. Right. Uh, the, the one in particular, I think, that I see the most, which I have yet to partake in, is bird dogs. Right. And, and yeah. others. So, you know, the other ones, I, I can certainly see that you've, you've got a defined niche there. Does that worry you about chubbies at all or how do they overcome that? Yeah, I mean, some of it's through innovation. A lot of it's through brand loyalty. And I think chubbies is doing quite a few new, unique things. You know, there's been some entrants, um, you know, bird dogs you mentioned, and, and there's been there's several others, frankly. You know, you've got Vineyard Vines, you've got some really great brand, brands, you've got obviously Lululemon, Bori, you know, all of these all of these great brands that play in this at leisure, you know, uh, category or space. You know, Chevy's just does things a little bit differently. Um, you know, they're they're a fast growing brand inside of our portfolio. Uh, they've shown their resilience and, 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 and brand equity with this partnership with Dick's Sporting Goods. They're now the top swim brand inside of Dick's um, across their stores. Um, so there's something there's something great happening right there. Uh, some of it um, really is, is it probably has more to do with the mission orientation. Um, you know, th this this idea, this mantra Friday at five <clears throat> is, is a great one for Chubby's. And when you look at what happened during the pandemic and, you know, just the, the formal wear thing went through a big evolution <laughs> during the pandemic. You know, people were stuck at home. They're working from home. Obviously, there's now this remote first, you know, push that, that a lot of brands are having. And so it's like, gosh, you know, can I do business on the top party on the bottom? You know, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing it right now. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Uh and so, you know, do you do you really have to dress up, you know, on the on the daily for for work? You know, I think that there's there's a, a renaissance happening right now. And I, I think Chubby's is is one of, if not the leader of what's happening, you know, in that in that space. So so John, when when you sit back and you know, you used an interesting word with with the Chubby's guys, you said partner with them, right? So it sounds to me like there's there's um the top organization, right? Sales marketing, right? Some smarts, right? And you're helping grow these, these products that kind of come in through your different segments. Um, but how do you decide? You know, I mean, you've got to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, right? Because you're, you're not the largest company, right? So you've got to make smart bets. How do you figure out, yes, I think this is a calculated bet here on this particular product. Uh, at the same time, how do you avoid, you know, kind of accidentally going into the herd? And I'll give you an example. You know, as, as I sit here, I and I'll hold this up so you can see it. I've got a Camelback water bottle, right? I've got an Arctic water bottle. I can see a Yeti water bottle. A lot of water bottles, right? But so, so how do you decide 
what to go into? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that it's it's twofold for us. I think that the first one is, is there something obvious with the customer crossover? So let me just let me just lay out our brands today. Yeah. Obviously, Terraflame makes a ton of sense with with, with solar stove, right? That, that one I don't have to explain a lot. We, we now are gonna go to our customers and we're gonna say, hey, we've got an indoor option for you too, easy. But as you start thinking about kayaks and paddle boards and, and, and men's apparel, it becomes less obvious. If you think about it from a digital marketers, from a digital marketers perspective, and you look at the demographics of our current customers across our brands, what you'd find is that Chubby's tends to sell to the youngest demographic inside of our portfolio. So they're grabbing, they're attracting and, and creating loyal customers as they're in college. As those students grow up, they get real jobs, they start buying homes, they start having kids, they get, they get a backyard or they travel to Airbnbs. Now Solo Stove and Isle Paddleboard become an interesting solution for them. And then as that customer base continues to grow and gets a little bit older, you know, hufting an 80 pound kayak onto the top of your car and strapping it down to go kayaking becomes impractical. And an Oro kayak at $20 or 20 pounds, excuse me, mm -hmm. uh, that you can put on your back like a backpack, you can sit it into the trunk of a Prius, you can fit it into a closet, becomes really attractive. And so if you look at just that evolution of a customer, we look at it and say, gosh, we can graduate that customer from Chubby's to Solo Stove to Isle to, to Oro kayak. And that, that becomes interesting. <clears throat> I think the other thing for us, is we have what, what probably is the most underappreciated and underknown thing about solo brands is that we have built an in-house, in in-sourced warehouse and fulfillment network that we believe is best in class and world-class. We have over a million square feet now globally. We do all of our fulfillment for our online orders via our own warehouses. And so if we're looking at a business and they're using a 3PL to do their fulfillment, which the vast majority of, of companies out there do because again, warehousing and fulfillment is not a competence. We know that through acquisition, we can bring that business in-house and we can generally immediately add five to eight points of EBITDA um, just on the fulfillment side. You know, 3PLs don't, don't, don't do it for free. They make right. a profit. And so, and generally that profit hovers around 10%. So we may not be quite as good as a 3PL is, where that's all they do, but we can definitely be half as good and probably a little bit better than that. And so on average, we're finding eight, five to eight points of EBITDA that we that we gain in synergies uh, via acquisition. So if you're a 15% EBITDA business and we can bump it back up to 20, that becomes a pretty winning formula as, as we think about bringing new brands in. Is that kind of the hurdle rate you just mentioned there for potential candidates? You know, the, the ability to, you know, call it five to 10, the ability to get it 15 to 20. Is that kind of the way you're thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. Our, our long-term growth and margin targets are 10% revenue growth, 20% EBITDA margins uh, with a 60% plus gross margin. So uh, we're looking for acquisitions where post-acquisition at a minimum, hopefully pre, but if, and then it's just gravy, right? But at least post acquisition, we've got to see a path to 20% EBITDA. Um, and so if we feel like we can, we can generate that, then certainly it's going to make the cut. So let me bring us back a little bit because, um, you know, obviously like we talked, we started off talking, your, your business was doing well going into the pandemic, took off after the pandemic for obvious reasons. 
you know, we saw the same with like Camping World and other camping related companies, but now we're starting to see that fade a little bit. Does that make you a little more hopeful that perhaps the acquisition, you know, radar might be a little stronger in the second half of the year than it is, say, coming into 2023, just because you might be able to get more companies at a, you know, better valuation? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's the right way to think about it. You know, if you look in 2021, we did three acquisitions. In 2022, we did zero acquisitions. So far in 2023, we've done one acquisition. Um, but as we as we watch what's happening, and I would say, you know, we've got the macro environment, that's one thing. But then you also are just dealing with the dynamic where during COVID, there was a pull forward of demand. So the people that were would have bought in 2023 and 2024 bought in 2020 and 2021, right? 2022, we started seeing a little bit of a shift and now we're in the, in the middle of basically lapping people, but we don't have the demand, but I don't think it's because people aren't spending time outdoors anymore. You just talked about being outside in the backyard of your Airbnb. You're still spending time outside, mm-hmm. yeah. but you might not be in the market to go buy a bunch of outdoor products because you just bought them 18 months ago. Bicycles, fire pits, whatever it might be, right? And so there's going to be a time that we have to get through. And I believe that 2022, we started seeing it, especially in the last three quarters, and we'll probably see it through 2023. And then you get to that normalized demand curve again, right? You've got consumers showing back up and going, okay, you know, I'm buying again. So I I think that that is is what we are expecting um, and certainly what we've seen up to now. Um, So it doesn't worry us too much that we're seeing softness because again, I don't think that softness is a, is like, oh, the consumer changed and they're not no no longer spending time outdoors or gathering with friends right, and family, right. but more they've just they're just laughing. Well, I, I I agree. I think in the near term you're gonna see consumers be a little more and you know, uh, I think Target was the one who used this word selective in the near term. And that's fine though, but but for a company that's looking to build and you know leverage that distribution platform that you talked about. You know, that's opportunity to pick up companies at more affordable valuations, like I said, layering potentially the growth 24, 25, 26, you know, what have you. Yep. You know, yeah, that's right. And their and their expectations are coming down, right? I mean, the reality is this private equity pumps a lot of money into the market with interest rates as high as they are, and private equity, everybody knows, uses a lot of debt to to go get deals done. With these interest rates, it, it underwrites much differently than it was a year and a half ago. And that puts companies like solo brands that generate a lot of a lot of profitability and a lot of free cash flow in a, in a strong position to go and partner and pick up uh, brands at, at great value. And, and so, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we expect to continue to see a lot of good activity. And, you know, obviously we're going to be selective, but uh, but but probably lean in. OK, is that and I'm going to jump ahead. I, I usually have a set of questions, but you guys recently completed um, uh, an equity offering to kind of, you know, rearm the balance sheet. Or is this part of your thinking, what, we're, what we've just talked about? Yeah, so actually uh, a, a little bit different. We actually spent a decent amount of cash buying back some shares. Um, what that equity offering is that you're, you're referencing, I, I believe, is, is what we just went through about 10 or, or 15 days ago. And that was actually more related to, we, we, have, we have three private equity uh, sponsors on our cap table. And we had a very small amount of float, public float, which meant low liquidity and big overhang. And ultimately, a lot of investors have been coming to us and saying, hey, how do we get rid of this overhang and increase liquidity so we can participate and and play here? 
and ultimately, fortunately, we were able, uh, you know, after a little bit of work and, and coaxing with, with one of our, our private equity partners, getting them to, to, to sell down their position. So it was a fully secondary offering. The company did not take any proceeds um, and, in fact, actually purchased, repurchased about 5.6 million shares um, that, that we canceled, um, you know, off of the uh, off of the total share count after we bought them. So um, good move for investors, good move for the company with our liquidity position and how much cash we're generating this year. And, um, you know, we think it's, you know, about double liquidity uh, on the stock. So oh, wow. uh, we're, we're in a better spot. We were about 14 percent um, uh, float prior to the offering. And now, you know, roughly, you know, roughly 25. Nice. Nice. OK, let's talk a little bit about your guidance. You know, uh, on here, we're really trying to understand the bigger picture here. But that guidance that you gave, 520 to 540 million, that's a big ramp, right, from the March quarter. I think you were around, I mean, obviously, you're going to know the numbers better than I do, but you were around 80 million, I think, if I remember correctly, ballparking it. So, you know, five, 530 at the midpoint of your guidance, take out 80. That's a big number. Yeah. You know, what now? You know, obviously a lot's going to unfold, but, you know, what what gives you most important um, confidence, credibility to kind of go out there and, and kind of put that big number out? Yeah, the, the biggest thing is the past is generally the best indicator of the future. And if you look at the last several years of our business, if you just take our quarterly contribution of annualized revenue, it has been 15 percent. 25%, 20%, 40% by quarter. So Q1, okay. 15%, Q2, 25%, Q3, 20%, Q4, 40%. There's a pretty big seasonal component to the business. Q2 and Q4 being the largest season. Q2 is where Chubby's and Oro and Isle really thrive. Solo stuff does well also, but especially those three warmer weather brands, um, you know, obviously being in water recreation and swimwear. And then Solo Stove just... It uh, has a mind of its own in Q4. And so the, the reality is, is those two quarters make up collectively 65% of our business annually, if you just look at our historical numbers. And so what we've guided to is in line with our historical. And in fact, in Q1, we outpaced our, our general, we generated about 17% of our guide, of our annual guide in Q1. So slightly ahead of pace um, and, then, and then guided um, you know, we don't give quarterly guidance, but we at least gave high level on the revenue side and said, hey, Q2, maybe 23% instead of 25, because we had some timing shift stuff that went into Q1. So we're the, the biggest confidence driver for us is just historically, that's what it's looked like seasonally. I'd say that if I were to layer on a, a second level of, of confidence, it's that we have a big innovation pipeline this year, very similar to last year, except that this year, it's very back half weighted. So we don't have as much products launching on the front half of this year as we did last year, but in the back half, it's really loaded up in Q, Q3 and Q4. So we believe that that creates some risk mitigation on that uh, on that ramp you're talking have about. You, have you announced any of these products yet? We have not. Yeah, so I can't So I, I can't ask you what you're most excited about. You can't, um, not, not, well, you can, but I unfortunately, <laughs> I can't give you a good answer. So don't ask, uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's some exciting stuff. I, that's the best way to put it is it's a good mix of both accessory kind of experience enhancing with our existing pro products. But then a, about half of the innovation is new category expanding. So, you know, if you think about last year, we launched the pie pizza oven. We launched the tower patio heater. 
So two marquee new lines open up additional TAM, new customer bases. About half of the people buying those products are not, we're not fire pit customers. They're just buying these new categories. And we believe in the back half of the year, we've got uh, a, a several products that we're excited about that are in that kind of new foundational product category versus the accessory side, which is about the other half. And, you know, we, we've heard a lot of companies over the last year or so dealing with supply chains. You, you mentioned that earlier uh, in, in passing. Um, what's the story with you guys on input costs and pricing that you're able to achieve? Are you still, you know, struggling with input costs at all? And do you see incremental pricing action coming in 2023? Does that help your revenue line? Or on the flip side, are you are you experiencing what other companies are, which is past price increases are really becoming margin levers now? Because because the input cost, you know, they are improving. Yeah, and we've definitely seen those improvements. I think you know we've got a, a healthy balance sheet from an inventory perspective. Um, it's it's why you're going to see some very healthy cash generation this year. We're actually uh, forecasting right now to have greater than 100% EBITDA conversion to cash in 2023. Um, but you know, if you look at just freight, ocean freight, and you look at raw material, particularly stainless steel, uh, for the solo stove brand, um, those costs have come down drastically. And as we work through the inventory balance we have uh, currently, that obviously is going to flow through uh, in, into nice, uh, you know, gains on on the gross margin front. And we already operate pretty healthy gross margins, north of 60%, even with our, our, our mixed shift uh, with wholesale and direct-to-consumer. Um, and so the, the biggest drivers from a price perspective is for us is actually what's happening with our partnerships with retailers. I think historically, we've been very focused on direct-to-consumer. And so we've been in control of the price and really not done a lot of thinking about the downstream impacts on our retail partners we kicked off this year with some of our tier, tier one partners like Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, you know, Academy, Shields, Ace Hardware, and said, gosh, we want to create a more price parity type scenario or dynamic with those retailers so that they're excited to give us better real estate, end caps, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, big displays, um, things that you might might see with other big outdoor retailers in um, or, or outdoor brands in, in something like a Dick's Sporting Goods. And so ultimately, we've been doing that. If you, if you look at what's happened with Chubby's this year is a great example. So Chubby's is the men's feature swim wall in, at Dick's Sporting Goods this year. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the way that we're working together with them to figure out pricing and skew and, and skew assortment in store so that the retailer doesn't feel like they're competing against our direct online stores um, that, that we have our products on. So that's where you see more price activity happening, um, more focused around allowing us to grow our retail relationships uh, in a meaningful way. And, uh, and we've been excited about it. It's been positive. The customers have been reacting well. So one other thing that we've noticed is um, there have been a lot of brands that have historically been online, yet they're slowly creeping into the physical space, right? Um, is that anything you guys are thinking about? Because I, I have to think that the ability to come in, to touch, to feel, to see the assortment of products, that could be helpful. Absolutely. I mean, we're all over that right now. If you listen to our last couple of calls, you're going to hear a pretty significant shift from a talking point standpoint towards us being an omnichannel business versus a direct-to-consumer only business. And what's driving that is exactly what you're talking about. There is something very experiential, something very powerful about this touch and feel 
component, uh, not just to the Solosa products, but the Chubby's products, the Oro and the Isle products as well. Of course, Terraflame now also. And so, you know, where we went public in 2021 at 92% direct to consumer, 8% wholesale retail. We finished 2022 at 80% uh, direct to consumer, 20% wholesale retail. And now we've guided that this year we expect probably closer to 75, 25. So we are a more balanced business. We are leaning that direction. And we're doing a lot of it for two reasons. One, there's more brand equity and awareness uh, to be had in these stores. And what we found last year is that new eyeballs are coming to, to bear in store than we're reaching online. So not everybody shops online and not everybody spends time in social media, even though it feels like everybody does. <laughs> the reality is, is that there are a lot that just don't. They don't, they don't build into the hype or buy into the hype online. And they're, when they're in store and they're out of Dick's Sporting Goods or a Shields or even a Costco, it builds cr brand credibility and brand awareness for us. The second big unlock for us is last year, um, summer, our CFO came on. And one of the first things she did was look at contribution margin by channel. And what we found is even though the gross margin was actually significantly higher with our direct to consumer business, when it was flowing through to EBITDA, our wholesale business actually had the same EBITDA margin as our direct to consumer business, like within a, 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 a cleric or error of, wow. of BIPs in, in, in terms of overall margin. And so at that point we went, gosh, the direct to consumer relationship still remains important to us, right? So we're, we're gonna protect that. We're gonna be careful with the way we, we lean into these relationships, but ultimately all things equal, whether they buy it at Dick's Sporting Goods or they buy it on solostove.com or chubbies.com, makes no difference to us from an EBITDA perspective. And we like that. It's allowing us to lean in harder and build this brand awareness faster. So I didn't hear that there's a solo store coming. Yeah. you Now, I, I will say this. Chubby's has five retail stores okay. already. They actually had those stores prior to us acquiring them. And those stores do quite well. Um, and so we're going to lean into our strength. Um, maybe dip our toe into the water and do some testing. But as we look at our three to five year growth plan, it does not require that Solo Stove and, and Oru and Isle, you know, start opening up 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 new brick and mortar stores. Um, we're going to be very careful with how we think about that for the other brands, particularly because those, those other three brands besides Chubby's have less, you know, less experience in it, but also require more real estate. They're just bigger products, right? It's, it it, it really alters your your business model in the way and your capital allocation. I mean, that's right. Tremendous. Right now, our capex is, is is tiny. It's you know, I think two percent of revenue or something like that is what what we forecast from a capex perspective. So very yeah. very minimal capital expense. I would I I would think that you probably have more geographic exposure with your existing re retail partners and adding additional retail partners, you know, to go first that that that's kind of my bet. For sure. And they and there's and there's obvious retailers that really fit well with our brands. Right. I think for some products, it's, you know, gosh, is there a retailer that really fits us right? Um, but the ones I've rattled off are great partners to us. They sell our products well. They represent them well. They build brand equity. So we, we don't feel a need to kind of go around them with a direct model. So does that mean at some point, John, you got to change your ticker from DTC? <laughs> it's a good question. We've had that conversation. It was an awesome idea in the middle of 2021. Uh, right. Today, it's it's a bit confusing, uh, frankly, because there's there's a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses that are not profitable and don't generate free cash flow. 
And so it is, it is tricky, especially when you have a model like ours that's generating very healthy profitability and healthy free cash flow. Uh, it could happen, you know, attorneys, uh, attorneys don't love the idea. Apparently it's, it's trickier than, than, uh, than, than they'd like, but, uh, you wow. know, I think, I, I think the harder part is reserving the right ticker that reflects everything you're doing. That is, and that, that is absolutely the case. You know, solo would have been the obvious one. Unfortunately, solo's taken. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you're, you're spot on finding, finding the right ticker that really embodies, uh, you know, what we are and where we're headed, I think is, is more of the challenge for sure. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, love the deep dive. Hope to have you back because it sounds like the second half of the year is going to be pretty exciting. Before we go, though, is there anything we didn't talk about regarding solo, any of the segments, any other big thoughts that we should touch on? You know what? This has been an awesome dialogue, and I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think a back half, uh, you know, recap or catch up is probably going to be in order. Awesome, awesome. Well, I look forward to it. John Maris, CEO of Solo Brands, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris.